Hey, everybody, I have an announcement. My new book, Traumatized, is available for pre-order now. In it, I cover PTSD and complex PTSD, the symptoms we can experience when we have been traumatized, and, of course, ways we can overcome these and heal. There is honestly too much helpful information in this book to list it all, but if you've ever wondered if you've been traumatized or are working to overcome past trauma, this book is for you. I cannot wait for it to be out in the world and help anyone suffering, so please pre-order yours today at katiemorton.com. You can ask her why breakups suck or why you've hit a plateau. Inquire all those questions you've always wanted to know. Ask Katie anything. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Ask Katie Anything. Uh, My name is Katie Morton. If you're new here, um, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I practice in the city of uh, Santa Monica, California, and I have a YouTube channel where I've been talking about mental health for like eight and a half years. But on here, it's a little bit different. I go through your questions that you asked on um, the community tab of the YouTube channel, uh, Opinions That Don't Matter. That's where all of my podcasts are housed. Um, But I ask them on Mondays. This week, I apologize, you guys. I forgot to ask the question. And because last week's, honestly, all of them, but last week's in particular had like 200 and something odd questions. So I just went through there and picked the next round. But don't worry, next week, I will put it in that community tab and I will ask you. Um, But also I thought this was kind of nice because then it gave people who maybe just were on the cusp of getting picked for last uh, week's to get picked for this week. So without further ado, and also just a check-in, like, how are you doing? How are things? I know um, it's been, there's been a lot going on in our world. And in California and LA in particular, we're closing back down. Today was one of the first days that salons, gyms, restaurants, uh, restaurants who don't have patios, like any kind of eat-in option like that, where it's inside, all of that was shut again. Um, yeah, so it's kind of just, I don't know, I feel like we're just in this constant state of I don't know, Sean calls it purgatory, <laughs> but I like to think of it as just like a forced reflection or a forced timeout. Um, depends on what we needed, right? We might need both. Um, yeah. So anyways, I hope you're doing okay. Just checking in with you. It's okay to take a break. Something that I've been uh, grappling with myself, and sorry, I'll get to your questions in a minute, but something I've been grappling with myself is um, is the permissions. And I know I've talked about this over the years and it's, it's just difficult. It's something I'm constantly struggling with. And it's really like the permission to take breaks. And, um, somebody had, it, the reason that it bubbled up in my brain is someone had posted something on Instagram to the, to the effect of, you know, self-care isn't selfish and it doesn't, it shouldn't involve guilt and it should be done regularly. Um, and then their next, it was like you swipe, you know, and then the next thing was something to the effect of like productivity doesn't equal value, like personal value. Um, And I know I've talked about this off and on, like the hustle culture and how uh, detrimental and toxic I think that is to us and our well-being. But this is just a good reminder to me in general that just because we're at home, a lot of people assume you should be, you know, doing so much. But oftentimes we're feeling more depressed and anxious, you know, as ever. And it's hard for us to even get motivated. And so anyway, I just bring that up to say it's something that I'm still working on if it's something you're working on, that's okay. Um, I hear you. I see you. It's important. I know it's it's a tough time right now. Um, 
it's okay to not do anything. I just want you to have permission. If you needed to hear it from someone else, it's okay for you to take a day off. Like I took a half day yesterday. It was Sean and I's anniversary. Um, Cause you're seeing this on a Thursday, but we, I'm filming this on a Tuesday. Um, <clears throat> however, yesterday I took a half day off cause it was Sean and I's anniversary. Normally I'd be out of town. We'd go somewhere, take a long weekend, but it's really difficult right now. And so we didn't do that. And I had to like, it's, it's funny. I'm getting better. So trust me, it does get better. Um, but, uh, I have a tough time letting myself off the hook of it. Like, oh, I should be insert any number of things. Should I be doing laundry? I should be writing my book. I should be prepping for the podcast. I should be replying to those emails. Well, the list goes on and on and on, right? There's like always more things that we could do. Um, but I try to like mentally shift where I'm like, Hey, normally I would take vacation right now, but because we're at home, it feels silly to take vacation, but that doesn't mean that I don't still need it because vacation doesn't have to be away from your home, even though that's traditionally the way that I've always thought about it. I'm sure that's probably the way you've thought about it. Um, And I know people talk about staycations, but usually that's like, oh, you're in your own city doing stuff. That's also different, right? For me, because of the lockdown and the fact that nothing's essentially like barely anything's open, um, there's nowhere for me to go to do anything but I still need a break and it's okay to take a break. And I don't know, sometimes I need to hear it from someone else. Like I saw that on Instagram and that inspired me. It made me rethink my own productivity and how I'm doing and what I'm feeling. And so if you're needing that push, hope maybe I can be that voice for you to let you know that it's okay to take a break and take vacation. Even if you're at home, that doesn't negate our need for a break. We're not robots. We need to take those breaks and we need to take the time we need so we can feel recharged. Because the interesting thing that... um it was last year, no, two years ago, or maybe even three at this point, but after VidCon, which is like a big YouTuber convention that uh, Sean and I've had the pleasure of going to every year for the past, I don't know, seven years or six years or something like that. Um, Anyways, every time we go, I would feel exhausted by it. Like it would take me a whole nother week to like recuperate. And so to jump right back into work, was really difficult. And so a few years ago, like two or three years ago, Sean and I decided that we would go directly like home from VidCon because it's in Anaheim, which is just like an hour and a half, two hour drive from us. Come home, switch out our bags and we go out to like Palm Springs or we'd go mountain biking and mammoth or something. We'd get out. We got to do something. And taking that break, getting out and taking that time after such, it's just a lot of um, I'm not very extroverted. I, I enjoy getting together with people, but I just need some time to recuperate. Not to mention it's a lot of work. So I'm like focused, I'm on panels, I'm speaking, I'm doing things. I want to make sure that I'm, you know, putting on a good show, giving you guys the stuff you want if you, you know, bought your tickets to go. And so anyways, after all of that energy out, it's good for me to take some time for energy in. And once we started doing that, I realized I came back from that week off feeling like, ah. <sighs> okay, like ready, excited to get back into work versus the like, oh, you know, when you just feel like you have no creative juices left or no oomph to do anything. Um, Anyway, so there is value in breaks. And I'll always remember, if you guys don't know, um, and I don't know if I've shared this before, I think I might have, but Robert Kinsel, who's um, such a wonderful human, he works at YouTube. He's a great man. He um, is the, I think he's the, is he the COO, CMO? I don't know. He's one of those people. He's very important. He'll probably be upset that I don't remember, but whatever. Lovely guy. Um, have known him for years. And he was talking about how he used to professionally ski. And the difference between people who would 
like let's say they're going to the Olympics, the people who would medal and the people who wouldn't, he said most often was those who took breaks. So the people who actually took breaks and gave their body rest tended to like, they tend to do better in the actual, you know, competition because our bodies need breaks. And I, I know I've talked about this a lot. And I don't want to like beat a dead horse, but I just want you to know that like there is a value in those breaks, oftentimes more value than we would get from continuing to push through and trying to like work harder. Um, yeah, because burnout's real. I did a whole series on that um, on my regular YouTube channel. So anyways, without further ado, I've rambled enough. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get into those questions. And if you're wondering, like, what kind of questions can I ask, Katie? Whatever you want, whatever kind of thoughts you have, questions about the therapy, the therapy process, psychology, a diagnose, like a diagnosis you've received or diagnoses that you've been reading about, things that you're curious about, you can ask any number of things or how to tell friends and family, how to help someone you love, really anything related to mental health. There's no question that is off limits. I do not share your name. Um, I know that it posts with whatever your name is on YouTube, but I keep everything anonymous so that you feel free to ask what you want to ask in the way that you want to ask it. Let's get into this. Question number one says, Katie, how do I stop feeling like I don't need anyone or anything? Deep down, I know I need people and then I need to be vulnerable because it's human. But part of me feels pathetic whenever I have needs or someone points out that everyone um, has needs. This is very common. This got All these obviously got quite a few thumbs ups and a lot of comments back. And I think the <laughs> so often we want to believe that we don't need anyone or anything because that like lets us out. Do you know how, um, how's that? Well, I don't even know how the best way I want to like describe this, but it's like the fact that we do need people and we do need things can make us feel uh, needy. And if we have really low self-confidence or uh, are caught in it, what I call like a shame spiral or a self-destructive uh, pattern or spiral, the 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 knowledge and the understanding that we need someone else can make it like we we aren't deserving of that right we struggle to believe that we even deserve it so it's like better for us to say you know what i don't even need it that helps us feel a little bit more in control um versus the way that it can cause us to feel which is out of control i'm not worth it something's wrong with me um you know i can't tell you how many times people say like well i you know I know other people are doing worse off than I am. So why should I be the one that gets help, right? That like weigh and measure that comparison, that comparison is a thief of joy. Thank you to everyone for letting me know that it was uh, Franklin Roosevelt, I believe is what you guys said, whose quote that is. Um, anyways, uh, let's get back to the question because I feel like I'm kind of not not being on point. So how do I stop feeling like I don't need anyone or anything? I believe that this comes the root of this because you guys all know, if you know me, if you've been watching for a while, I like to get to the root of the root. That's what's really powerful. That's what's really important. That's actually what's causing the upset, right? That we're seeing like the tree above it. It's what what's what seed was planted to, to cause that to grow, right? So if we're trying to get to the root of the root, I think that um, you said deep down, I know I need people and then I need to be vulnerable because it's human. But part of me feels pathetic. There's the judgment. There's something's wrong with me. I'm not good enough. I'm I'm too bad. No one no one uh, is going to want to hear from me. No one is going to want to help me. So I shouldn't need anybody or anything. I'm safer that way. It's what I call it's puffer fishing. 
And if you guys don't know, that's why my brand over on my Katie Morton channel, my t-shirts are all puffer fishes. And I actually haven't gotten any questions about it because I've talked about it a lot, but it's like when you puffer fish, it's because we feel really vulnerable, really squishy and soft. And we know that we can be hurt and we know that we have needs and we know that we're human and that we, we feel pain. But if someone gets too close and we feel, honestly, it could just be if someone gets too close. But for some, for some of us, like myself included, if I feel threatened, right? Uh, because I am so soft and because I am really empathic and I can feel for a lot of people and it can be really hurtful for me and detrimental to prevent that from happening and to prevent me from getting hurt, I puffer fish, right? Instead of letting them get too close because I'm soft and squishy and I'm really vulnerable, then I stick my spines out. Yeah. And then I tell them to go away. And so that's what is happening with this is like, how do I stop feeling like I don't need anyone or anything? That's the puffer fish. And so part of the way that we work out of this. And it it takes practice, right? It's almost like, it's kind of like emotional. I mean, exposure therapy is emotional, but I want to say like exposure therapy can be to certain scenarios or situations that might not have anything to do with another person. But this is like the emotional exposure therapy, like a relationship exposure therapy. So what I would want you to do is to try out uh, maybe with a therapist, you could look into finding a therapist, or maybe it's with a friend that you already have. Let's try out needing someone. Let's try out reaching out, speaking up. We can test the waters little by little. So it's like, try reaching out and talking to a friend one day. It doesn't have to be about anything specific. You don't have to say, oh, I'm struggling. I need you to be there for me. Let's just try reaching out. Then maybe we tip a toe in the water, right? Then we say something like, yeah, you know, I've been having a tough time. All of this coronavirus bullshit and all the, the news, it's just overwhelming. Maybe we tell them just a little bit. We see how they react, right? We're testing the waters. I would encourage you so that the puffer fishing doesn't happen. We have to go slow and steady, predictable in ways that feel comfortable for us. If they want to overshare, that's totally fine for them. However, we need to move at a pace that feels okay so that we don't puffer fish. Because the problem is, and this is something that I've done in the past, is I'll share too much personal stuff up front. I'll like, you know, uh, in Sex and the City, Carrie calls it being emotionally slutty, where it's just like, blah, you just like dump it all out of your mouth, like way too fast, right? So you just share way more than you were expecting. And because of that, like over emotional vulnerability or oversharing, then we puffer fish. And we're like, you you don't know me, get out of here. We don't feel safe. And so in order for you to like start feeling safe, start pulling those spines, retracting those spines back in and allowing people to see you for who you are, we have to do it really slow. Um, I hope that that makes sense. I hope that's helpful because trust me, I do it too. I puffer fish too. Um, Back, I wrote this in my first book, but back when I was, uh, I don't know, like in my late teens, early twenties, I was date, I would do this to guys that I dated. I'd be like, they'd do something that would hurt my feelings. And instead of expressing that my feelings were hurt and trying to talk about it, I would puffer fish. I'd stick my spines out and I'd be like, I didn't need you anyway. Yeah. And I'd like run away um, and dump them. And so my therapist called me out on it. And she was like, you're puffer fishing. You puffer fished your last boyfriend. You puffer fish your friends. You puff, you know, you don't let anybody get too close. Um, and so, you know, for me, I had to dig into like, what would it mean to let people get close or to actually want to have someone in my life to feel like I maybe needed something. Um, And a lot of it comes down to like self-worth and um, it's it's kind it could be confidence related for you, but a lot of it's like the giving yourself 
the permission to take up space and to be there. Um, like that it's okay for you to exist. I know that I've thought about stuff like that before myself. So anyways, I hope that that gives you some things to think about. I think that there there's a it's a slow process, but it does get better. I don't do that anymore, just so you know. I don't puffer fish people anymore. Um, it took me a while to get to that point where I didn't puffer fish people, but it didn't. Um, I just want you to know it does get better with the right work and right support. Um, and finding a therapist, if you could do that, is really, really great. And that's someone that you can work through this with. You can get some extra support and guidance along the way, get some homework that feels you know good for you. And it's like challenging, but not too challenging. Um, all those things. But yeah, um, journaling could help too, because you said part of you feels pathetic whenever you have needs. Um, I, I was just, lately I've been like harping on my patients about this. And I was talking on a Patreon live stream earlier today about this, about how we have to be aware of like the words that we use. Cause there's like little words that can totally change the meaning of things. Like for instance, part of me feels pathetic whenever I have needs or someone points out that everyone has needs. Sometimes when we say, Oh, I understand that everybody has needs. And people will say that to me, meaning like, I get it. Like, I know people have needs. It's a, it's something that's a human thing. We, we have to have it. There's things that we're going to need emotionally. Um, there's things that we're going to need physically, like food, water, sleep. I understand, but we have to make it personal. I've been like calling all my patients out on this. Like, I get it. People have needs. People feel upset. And I'm like, ah, da, 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 da. I'm going to stop you. This isn't about people. I'm not talking about everybody. I'm talking about you. And so sometimes we have to shift that from like generalizing to kind of, help us deal with it or make it okay. And I'm not saying this is what the person did this question because they didn't, but I just wanted to point that out because I think a lot of times we say things like, oh, everybody needs that. Everybody does that. I get it. I know it's normal for everyone else to feel that, but it's not okay for me for some reason. So we have to make it personal. And then we have to think about why it's different for us. Like I would, the first journal prompt I'd offer to this person would say, what if if you did have certain needs and if you did count on someone, what would that mean for you? Or why is that so scary for you? Or is there a sense of control that you feel would be lost? And what would that mean? What would come up for you? What do you feel as a result of that thought? Anyway, I could go on and on, but I hope that's helpful. I hope that gives you a little bit of insight. We all do it and it does get better. Okay, let's get a little water. Hydration's important, right? We all have needs. I need some water. Question number two. What do you recommend for someone without much of a support system aside from their therapist? For example, having no friends or anyone who really understands. I have social anxiety, so meeting people is hard, even COVID aside. And I felt like I'd answered this question before, but I didn't, usually I heart them as I answer them and I didn't see a heart. So apologies if I answer this before, but I think it could help everybody. And the truth about this is very, very common. I have a lot of patients over the years who have only had me and maybe one distant friend that like lives in another state or something. Um, And the best thing, and you're going to like some of these and you're not going to like some of these. And someone left a comment on this that was like exactly up my alley. She was like, I join monthly like clubs. And she's like, I know it sounds really stupid and it sounds really dorky, but like joining a philosophy club or a book club or a, you know, uh, dog walkers club, or I don't know, it's shared activities. You know, that they like something that you also like. Um, 
And it really helps you meet people. It really helps. So I know not everybody loves meetup.com, but that's always a place that I send my patients just to find out groups and clubs. Or I know things are kind of closed. So this is it's a little tricky, but I want, I'm just going to give some examples because COVID will go away at some point and we need to have this information, right? We need to kind of have some resources. So Another thing that I do is like, let's say, for instance, I like yoga and normally I go to my studio, you know, and I see people there. It would be a great place for me to ask the people who work there because they're working. So I don't have to feel bad. I don't have to think, you know, I'm not trying to make friends. This has nothing to do with that. I'm doing like therapy homework. So it's, it's completely okay for me to ask someone that works at the yoga studio. Hey, do you know any other, uh, you know, yoga groups or retreats or people who get together to practice? Is there anything else that you guys have going on? Or like a meditation thing? Or is, you know, just ask, are there other things going on in the community? Maybe there's a cork board where they put things up. People still do those. Um, There's one at our local bagel shop. There's one at our local coffee store. I think Starbucks a lot of times have those too for the local area. So check those things out. I know this is like now COVID stuff. I'll get into that, but just something to consider. Now with COVID, the great silver lining to this shit show that is COVID-19 is that there's a ton of like online groups now. So I would just do a Google search, online groups for, you know, people who love coffee, um, Facebook groups, there's Facebook groups for everything. And I know this isn't like close support, like a friend or a family member, but it is some social support. And then to that end, I think, uh, making friends online. We know through research, just FYI, that even though online connections aren't as fulfilling right away, as quickly as like in-person connections are, they do over time give us, offer that, they like offer us that same relief. They give us that same good feeling. And so they do in the end become just as uh, beneficial, just as helpful as in-person. So look into some Facebook groups, look into some online groups. If you have because you have a therapist. So ask your therapist for groups about the things that you're struggling with. Like for instance, I refer all the time my patients to eating disorder recovery groups or uh, single mother groups. I have a couple of those types of patients or um, uh, you know, groups for those with anxiety, trauma groups. Um, Alexa Altman, the, the psych- uh, psychologist and friend of mine that I've had on my regular YouTube channel, the clinic that she's a part of does a ton of cool things. She does kintsugi classes. They do yoga. They do like uh, making food together and stuff for those with eating disorders so they can get more comfortable in the kitchen. There's all sorts of cool things they do um, and a lot of trauma-focused stuff too. So ask your therapist, get online and, and ask, uh, try those meetup group. A lot of people are still doing like socially distance things. So that would be a nice, easy way to like ease yourself into it. Um, and then just slowly test the waters, kind of to what I was talking about for the first question is like, don't feel like you have to rush in and be really quick with sharing everything and getting close to them. You can t- uh, take your time getting to know them. Um, you can take your time sharing and that will slowly build into hopefully beautiful friendships and beautiful support systems. Okay. Not to mention our community. I don't want to forget that. I have a Facebook group called Katie and our comments and everything has always been a very lovely place. Um, and the community tab is a lovely place on here and on my regular channel. I've always been very, very proud of our community and I love how supportive you all are, are of one another. And I do, Sean and I do our best to kick out all the losers and mute people and block people. So 
I hope you feel safe. I hope you know that this is a safe community. I hope you feel okay sharing and, um, you know, being open with one another. So, um, yeah, that's another option too. Okay. Question number three. Hey, Katie, I'd like to know, what can I do to deal with multiple unfortunate events? I had four breakups followed by a mul- by multiple rejections on a job search and rejected by multiple master degree scholarships. And it's really traumatized me. I feel like nothing good has come my way. I know I shouldn't feel this way. However, I couldn't help it. Do you have any I- idea on how to deal with multiple traumatic events? Thank you so much, love. Um, the first thing when I was reading this, it, again, it's because I'm harping on those words, man. I'm sorry if this is like up- hard for you guys to hear. But when she said, I feel like nothing good has come my way. I know I shouldn't feel this way. Eh. You have every right to feel that way. I would encourage you every time you think, you know, I shouldn't feel this way. Like I just heard, um, who was it the other day? I don't even remember. But somebody was saying something to the effect of, oh, it was it was another Kenyan on one of um, my Patreon hangouts. She was like, you know, I, I, sh- I don't have any reason to struggle. I shouldn't be feeling bad. Like my life is good. Everything, if I think about everything, my life is good. Okay, just because things look good or we have the things we need doesn't have to negate how we feel. The experiences that we have and the things that we're going through still have, you know, detrimental emotional effect. Just because I have a roof over my head, I have a job that I can work and, you know, clothes on my back and I'm okay. Like basic needs don't don't always equate to emotional needs. If you're having a hard time, you have every right to have a hard time. It's just, it's one of those things we always say, like, I shouldn't feel this way. Everything's fine. Like, my life is good. Like, I have no reason to complain. The kids are like starving in other parts of the world and things are shittier. Things will always be shittier. That doesn't matter. Someone else's pain doesn't mean that you don't have a right to yours. Pain isn't like a pie. Like, if I give away one slice, I don't have less for other people to feel. It's not like, oh, we're out. So I don't have a right to feel that way because like there's none of that pie left. And so the other people obviously needed it more. Eh. I've even heard from some people, hey, I I'd, like put off reaching out to a therapist because I was like, oh, somebody else will need that slot with that therapist. And eh. we all have a right to get the help that we need at the time that we need it. Period. Okay. Sorry, I went on a total tangent with that, but I just felt that was really important. Like I know I shouldn't feel this way says who? Apparently you. And I do not agree. I go eh, again. Okay. Um, so how to deal with multiple, multiple unfortunate events. The truth about this is you've had a lot of loss. So you've uh, the four breakups, master degree scholarships, job rejections, and all that stuff is a lot of loss. And I know a lot of people are like, well, you never had the job. So like, how are the master's degrees? So like, why is that a loss? It's the loss of the dream. I think too often we forget the dream that we put together when it comes to relationships, when it comes to life goals and choices. We forget that we had that dream. We dreamed a dream. We got excited. We had already thought, hey, if I get that scholarship, I'll do this. Or if this relationship continues, we'll get married or whatever your hopes are. Not everybody has to want to get married. But you could be like, hey, we're going to move in together and get a dog and some house plants or something. We we dream a dream. We put together. It's It's just how we are as humans. We, we love to tell ourselves stories, so we tell ourselves the story of the future. And when we, that when things don't turn out the way that we had told that story, and they don't turn out better in our eyes, if they turn out worse, we have to grieve that difference, right, between what we had hoped 
and what the reality is. And so my real advice on this is let yourself feel it. You have every right to feel this way. I think journaling could be great. Letting yourself cry. If you don't have much privacy, do it in the shower or, uh, you know, maybe at night, you know, cover yourself under your blankets and cry, whatever feels safe for you. But working to create that safe space is really important so that we feel like we can get that out. Um, yeah, that's really where it's at. It's the, the sooner we can stop, stop stopping. It's really like, that's funny. I'll, I'll rephrase. The sooner we can not prevent the emotions from coming, the sooner we can like allow the emotions to, to come and to feel them, to acknowledge them and to validate them, to say like, Hey, you have a place. I understand why you're here. Life has been pretty fucking awful lately. Um, the sooner we can do that, the better. Because multiple traumatic events, if we're talking about complex PTSD, that if you guys don't know what that is, it's when uh, like PTSD can happen from one big event or one medium event. You know, we're traumatized. We worry for the safety of ourselves or someone else. We're scared and we're traumatized. However, usually when we have PTSD, like traditional PTSD, we could have multiple traumas, but if things happen quickly, right? Like let's say I think of traumas as like waves. So let's say this wave, it hits us, man. And we're on the beach and it hits us up to our waist. And we're like, Ooh, you lose your footing a little bit, but the wave goes, there's no other big waves coming. And we catch our footing again. And we walk to a new place and we feel pretty okay. And we go about, you know, waiting in the water. But if the waves hit and hit and hit and hit, we don't have a way to get, catch our breath, get our footing. We can be pulled under and that's what happens when we have multiple traumatic events. It's like multiple waves hitting us. And that's why it's really important for you to allow yourself to call them traumas, to validate your experience, let yourself feel what you need to feel and make space for that. And if you can get in to see a therapist, I would really, really, really recommend that um, because having a safe space to talk about all of this is really beneficial. And it's really where the healing begins. And yes, the more research I've been doing, by the way, um, because I'm writing a book on trauma, if you didn't know is that it's not just um, talk therapy that benefits everyone. By and large, we find that there needs to be at least something else on board, whether that's a medication, whether that is we do like EMDR or we do somatic experiencing or schema therapy or parts work or whatever. There's um, There has to be more than just talking for most people. So if you've been talking this out and you're like, hey, dude, it's not getting any better, that's okay. That's very normal. Research proves that that's just how it is, um, unfortunately. But with proper help, it does get better. And talking it through and making sense of it is the first step. It's not, it's not that that doesn't benefit us. It still benefits us. But it's like we need that and then we also need something else. Um, yeah, I hope that that's helpful. I know it's not like a clear, concise answer about it, but the dealing with multiple traumatic events is really talking it through, getting support, getting proper treatment. But I think the biggest thing for you right now, something you can do today if you don't already have a therapist, is stop shooting on yourself. You're saying, I shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't. I don't have any right. Stop saying shouldn't. You have every right to feel how you feel. And I want you to start changing that conversation inside your head to a more positive one where you're like, hey, you know, shit gets bad. Things are hard. But... um, you know, I have a right to feel that way because of those things. That doesn't, you know, just because things, I have a roof over my head and food in my belly doesn't make it, you know, make me, uh, I don't know. It doesn't take away my right to feel upset, if that makes sense. Um, okay. Got it. I hope that's helpful. Question number four. 
Hi, Katie. Can you talk about the difference between intrusive thoughts and actual suicidal thoughts? Is it possible to have both? I'm diagnosed with depression, but I'm just starting talking. I've just started talking about OCD tendencies and it's kind of confusing. This can totally be confusing. So for those of you who don't know, um, intrusive thoughts tend to be violent or sexual in nature. I don't know why. I'm not a neuroscientist. I also can't read minds, so I'm not really sure why it happens, but that is just what we know, okay? That's that's what people tell us. That tends to be what it is. So these thoughts tend to be like, hey, I'm going to jump off this bridge. Hey, I'm going to punch this person in the throat. Hey, um, what if I just had sex with that guy right now? I know this sounds crazy and it feels crazy. And intrusive thoughts are, they make us question our, our sanity, our uh, like moral compass. It can be very difficult, very confusing. And it is part of OCD. So if you don't know, OCD stands for obsessive compulsive disorder. And a lot of people even talk about pure OCD or pure O OCD, which is when we have these intrusive thoughts and we don't have any compulsions that are physical. All the compulsions happen in our head where we like uh, think a different way or talk ourselves down from this. And so um, it's mainly the intrusive thoughts that we're fighting if that makes sense. And I have a whole video on it on my regular Katie Morton channel. You can uh, search it over there. But the, so to get to the question, just because I kind of wanted to lay some groundwork. So that's what intrusive thoughts are. And then suicidal thoughts um, could, so here's here's the Venn diagram. Intrusive thoughts can have some suicidal thoughts with them, right? We can have that sometimes. It comes in, it goes out, Um Intrusive thoughts don't tend to last very long. Usually it's, especially with OCD, it's waiting for that compulsion. So what is the compulsion? What do we do to like, do we thought stop? Do we change the subject? Do we think about something else? Do we sing a song in our head? Whatever. Do we have to do a certain amount of things or certain things to make it go away? There's all sorts of things. We have to check, make sure people are safe, that we're safe. Could be that. Um, lots of checking along with OCD. So intrusive thoughts can have that. But the difference here, so Venn diagram, is like I talked about all the compulsions that you do to make it go away. Whatever those things are, it goes away. Suicidal thoughts, no matter what the compulsions are that we try to do or the, you know, thought techniques or actual behaviors, none of that stops it. They still happen and they still hang around. And even if our OCD, you know, wasn't acting up that day and we didn't really feel like we had any intrusive thoughts or anything, it would still be there. And so that's really the difference. And yes, it is completely possible to have both, but it that's how you can like tease out where they're, what the cause is. Is the cause because of my depression or is the cause because of my OCD and my intrusive thoughts? And that can get very tangled. I don't want you to feel like you have to tease them out, that you have to know where they came from. That doesn't necessarily give us any helpful information unless it's helpful for you, you have to do what's best for you. And sometimes having that information, just knowing that it it can be validating or it can make us feel a little bit better. So if, if you need that, that hopefully that helps explain it. So that's the difference between intrusive thoughts. It's all about the compulsions um, and suicidal thoughts. You, yes, you can have both. You're diagnosed with depression, but you started talking about OCD tendencies. Yeah. So they could, they both could be happening. Um, but yeah, does it go away or not with the compulsions? Let me know. Um, but yeah, I hope that helps. Okay. <laughs> I always yawn on this because I'm talking too much and I try to fight it because it's it's not you, it's me. It's because I'm talking too much. 
Okay, question number five. Let's get into it. Katie, in these last few weeks, I've been feeling a lot of self-hatred. It has always been there, but now it's so much worse. My self-harm has gotten worse and I've been wanting to relapse from my eating disorder. This is killing me inside, but at the same time, I think I deserve it. So um, so I don't want to stop hating myself. I just don't know about what to do anymore. How do I bring myself to stop these thoughts and beliefs? Oh, yes. Self-hatred is like a it's like a snowball. It just, or like everybody loved the analogy last week of the, the train picking up speed. It's like a train. And the more self-hatred, self-hatred is like the coal in the train and it's moving it down its tracks towards all sorts of unhealthy coping skills and it's picking up speed as it goes. And so I think, first of all, it makes sense. Um, a lot of times we do this where we, we have such distaste for ourselves and what we've done or not done or whatever we should have done or blah, blah, blah that we feel like we deserve to hate ourselves, that we deserve to to self-injure, to struggle with eating disorder, like it's all deserved. Um, and the truth, uh, it's going to be tough, but you can do it. I have, I have complete faith in you, is that we need to start recognizing these thoughts. Because you're saying like, um, you know, this is killing me inside, but at the same time, I think I deserve it. So I don't want to stop hating myself. Okay, that's a thought. So I think... So the thought is, I deserve it, so I don't want to stop hating myself. And I want you to consider the thoughts that you have every day. I want you to start tracking these. It's kind of part of CBT, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, is that we we track our thoughts because too often they're happening without us even paying attention. And we can agree with these thoughts and we can think them over and over. And so then they're a belief. And then the more we have the thoughts and it leads to a belief of that same type, then we feel like, okay, that's a really... It's a strong belief. I really agree with that. And this can be happening all while we're like asleep at the wheel. And so I would encourage you to recognize what thoughts you're having because we need to pay attention to them because they're changing how you feel about yourself and they're potentially going to lead us to a relapse either in our self-harm uh, behavior or our eating disorder. And so we need to track them. And then I want you to rewatch my video about bridge statements because then I want you to start bridging them. Because self-hatred, the only way to stop it is to stop the way we talk to ourselves about it. It, Self-hatred, again, like even just in the phrasing self-hatred, it usually has little to nothing to do with the external world. It's all about what's happening in our head. And so pay attention to your thoughts and start tracking them. And I, I don't expect you to track all of them. I'd like you to come up with like, Maybe start with two thoughts that you have in a day that are repetitive, building up to like five and then to 10 slowly, increasing by like one thought more a day. Or if it might be easy, some of my patients are like, can I, can I just do like 50? I have so many. You do what you do, you boo boo, you do what's best. But uh, try to come up with a few of them and you'll notice these, they're repetitive, these certain thoughts like that one about like, I deserve it. So I don't want to stop hating myself. That's probably one you've had quite a few times over and over and over. And so then I want you to take those thoughts and take the most, like, let's start with the most common. And if there's a ton of them, let's start with like three, okay? Or even just one. I think one is a good place to start. So let's start with one thought. And let's say that thought is, I deserve it. I deserve to feel like shit. I deserve to relapse my eating disorder. I deserve to self-injure. I deserve it. That's what I think Um, or believe, right? How would we bridge statement that? We would say, it's possible that maybe I don't deserve 
this self-hatred as much as I think. I'm open to the possibility that that might not be the case. Maybe I'm being hard on myself. It's possible. And we want to start slowly moving that shitty belief and thought all the way over into a more positive space. And little by little, we can do that by using bridge statements. It's like we're building that bridge. And so start off by it's possible that maybe lots of possibles, lots of maybes, lots of it could be I'm open to it. Um, if this, you know, we can just soften the language, take it from a really purely negative judgmental um, point of view and move it closer. Getting to hopefully like halfway would maybe be like, you know, I, it's, it is possible. I believe that I don't deserve this because I don't like hating myself. So I do want to stop. That's like halfway. And then we want to move over into the the full, like the final would be, I don't deserve this kind of shit talking in my own head because uh, I'm a pretty good person. I'm pretty great, actually. That would be the ultimate goal. And we just have to work our way there. And that's like one thought at a time. And yes, I know it sounds and feels fucking tedious, but that's where the healing, that's where the growth, that's where it comes from. It's it's really in those, like in our thoughts lies our beliefs about ourselves and our experience, our personality, how we engage with the world, even when we're not saying something. It's really important, you guys. Your thoughts change your life. So taking the time, as tedious and as annoying as this feels and sounds, I promise you it is totally worth the effort. So start there. And then the next step, so, and you can do this simultaneously. It doesn't have to be the next step. I guess it could be happening at the same time, is changing those beliefs and thoughts around. Another avenue to go down is to be a detective. Be a detective for the good things. Be a detective to prove those beliefs and thoughts wrong. So instead of looking for things to just, uh, what do they call it? Confirmation bias. Like when we already believe something, we look for things that uh, confirm that belief that we already had. I feel like maybe I should do a whole video on this on confirmation bias. But anyway, um, I think because it catches us and gets us stuck in these ruts and it makes us feel like shit and it is bad. So if we already have this belief or whatever in our life, right? Then we tend to go out into the world looking for things to support that. So if the belief is, I deserve it, I should keep hating myself because I'm just a worthless piece of garbage, then we're going to look out into our world and our experience for things that support that, such as someone who honked at me on the road. They know what a worthless piece of garbage I am. You know, I didn't get that promotion that I wanted at work because I'm a worthless piece of garbage and they know it too. Um, you know, uh, my partner or spouse didn't, uh, didn't compliment me on how I look today. It's because they know I'm ugly and stupid and just a worthless piece of garbage, right? We're just looking for reasons to be hurt and upset, um, and to continue to prove that belief. And so if we instead shift our focus from looking for things to support that, and we look for things, um, to go against it, it can totally change your world. Um, so, so stick with it, try it out. I promise it helps. It gets better. Okay. A little bit more water. Want to make sure we're recording. Yes, we are. I have this like kind of paranoia that I'm going to do this whole episode and then nothing will have recorded. Like last time I did the whole episode and the camera stopped recording. And so I had to do it twice in a row. I don't know if I told you guys this. 
but, and it was like so hot. I mean, sometimes, I don't know if you guys do this, but when, when things are just shitty, like that happens, Sean's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. It didn't record. And I'm like, Hey, I could be mad about it and ruin the rest of my day, but we, I got to do it anyway. Let's just do it again. Let's just start it up. Let's go. Um, and so I just didn't give myself room to be upset. And sometimes that helps me move on more quickly. I don't know if that, it wasn't like a emotion that had a use, you know, like I want us all to be able to feel our emotions sometimes, but sometimes it's just like, Hey, I could be pissed and frustrated, but either way I got to do this. So let's just do it. And then by the time I was done with it, I was like, Hey, I'm done. I'm glad I just pushed through. I did it. And then I didn't feel as frustrated. It's, it was interesting. Anyway, random food for thought. Okay. Question number six. Hey, Katie, how how do I accept that someone can be gentle with me or make me feel seen without getting triggered? Mm. Sometimes in session, this makes me uncomfortable and sometimes makes me feel more triggered. Oh my God, so common. Even just like not that long ago, I had told another member of our community, I was like, I see you, just know that you're important. It was meant to be a comment about like to support and to um, show some love, you know? help them know that I see them, but it was super triggering. And so we talked about it. But anyways, um, I say that just to let you know, it's very common. This happens a lot. And I think part of it is actually in our triggers, our triggers are helpful information. I know we try to like avoid them like, because nobody wants to feel triggered. That's horrible. Cause us to dissociate, have flashbacks, all sorts of shit. We don't want to feel that way. But it's good information once it's happened. So, okay, we've already been triggered. So my actual advice to you is to be curious and journal about this. That J-bomb, it was coming, you knew it. But I want you to um, maybe write a little bit about what being seen means to you and, and what about being seen makes you uncomfortable. I'm just curious. And if someone's gentle with you, what does that mean? Is that, does that make you feel vulnerable? Is that a, is that a bad thing to feel? Because in therapy, it's really triggering, right? So like, I'm uncomfortable and it makes me feel more triggered. So I want you to just be curious. I want you to think about it. I want you to be kind of nice with yourself as you figure it out. I can't answer like, you know, how can you accept that someone's gentle? We have to figure out why it's so triggering first. Otherwise, we don't understand the root of this trigger for you. And triggers, like like I said, are just treasure troves of information, so I'd consider how you felt it in your body, if you can, if you can stay present and do that. I would consider what automatic thoughts do you have when I tell you, when you hear me say, I see you and you're important. What comes up for you? What would that mean? Is, is that because then you're, I'm just, I'm hypothesizing to try to get your, if, it, if I haven't triggered some thoughts, I want you to try to trigger some thoughts so you can journal about this. Um, but I, I could guess that maybe by me being gentle, and making you feel seen, it makes you feel vulnerable. Or it, um, you worry about being left, fear of abandonment, because now that you actually know I'm there for you, that's a scary thing. It could be loss of control, because if you are thinking that I'm going to be there for you, what if I, what if I leave? Then you have no control over how you feel, and it could feel very chaotic and very scary. Um, is it because everybody else has left you in your life, like? Try to think about this um, because too often I think we jump to like, how do I fix this? And that's kind of like uh, on the on the same vein in my mind as like toxic positivity. Like, you know, uh, just breathe and everything will be fine. And just, 
you know, all those quotes that people share and all that bullshit online that we see that doesn't allow for us to feel bad and to really feel it. I give you permission just to feel it and then just be curious about it. We need to learn about that experience because me, like personally, I could say if I'm not, uh, I'm not really quick to jump on the anger train. I don't lash out at people. I don't shout. I don't, it takes quite a bit to work me up. Okay. Um, I used to do it as a kid. I'd get angry all the time and tons of therapy helped me like process. It was just because I didn't feel okay to express anger or upset. It didn't feel safe for me. And so I stuffed it down until it explode later over things that weren't important or, you know, uh, to people who had upset me. I just, it was too much. So um, that me not, so, okay, sorry. I lost my train of thought for a second, but me jumping onto that anger train now So if I feel really angry all of a sudden, because I know that that's not who I am, that's not actually how I am. I just, um, I don't do that. So why is what happened so upsetting that it's causing that in me? What buttons are being pushed to, to throw me into that? Does that make sense? It's like my emotional reaction is super helpful because emotions are the way that my brain tells me what the fuck is going on. It's like, hey, Katie, this person said something that reminded you of that uh, that friendship that was really bad when she used you and did, did, did all this shit. And so that's why you're super angry and you want a puffer fish, you know? And I'm just giving like a random flippant example that's not even real in my life. But I'm just telling you that like, if we find ourselves acting in a way like you're uncomfortable, you feel triggered um, in a way that's we're not sure what where it comes from, why? then we just have to be curious and be curious without judgment. It's okay to wonder. Ooh, I'm going to sneeze. <coughs> Excuse me. That hap- that came on quick, you guys. Um, wait, I think that that's, the, that's where a lot of us get stuck is we can't just be curious without judgment. We want to judge. We want to say, oh, I'm so stupid because I'm tying this fr- this relationship to this relationship and that's why I'm acting this way. And they're not even the same person. Hey, in our brain and our body, they feel the same. And so it's important that we recognize that, we validate that. And we log away this information because it's helpful. Hey, when someone doesn't show up for me, it, this triggers this. When someone tells me that they that they see me and they make me feel seen and they're really gentle, it triggers this old relationship. And so that gives me information as to why I'm feeling the way I feel. And it can be very validating. I want you, instead of judging, I want you to validate your experience. I want you to learn from it. And I want you to just continue to be curious about your emotional responses. I think that's the problem with our our world is like, we're just so scared to see what's inside. And all the while it's shouting to be seen. It's like, I think I shared this on either a live stream or another podcast, but I just love it. I died. It was a meme that someone had uh, posted that said, uh, you know, the world goes into lockdown. And uh, (laughs) it said, I think it said, someone says, you know, this is a great time for all of us to just reflect and go inside and consider how you're feeling. And then it says, everyone else, absolutely not. I will learn to make sourdough bread, banana bread, do yoga in five different languages before I do that. And it just, it made me just die laughing. Like, absolutely not. I'm not gonna consider how I feel or, you know, reflect on my life. When in all truth, that's what we need the most. We need some times of reflection. We need to be gentle with ourselves. We need to understand where all of these thoughts and feelings and uh, dissociation, body memories, uh, angry, angry outbursts, uh, fits of crying. Where is that coming from? Why is it happening? It has a reason. It has a purpose. 
we just haven't tapped in enough to recognize it. So I'm, ch- I'm talking way too much about this. Um, so that's the, that's the road. Start noticing about your trigger. Start. It tells us a lot of information. So be curious. Let's write about it. Uh, let's consider all those, you know, questions like what would it mean, you know, to be seen? Why is that so upsetting? If someone was to say they saw you, you know, what comes up for you? Um, I hope that helps. It does get better. Uh, being introspective seems scary at first, and then it's so freeing, and it's also so insight. It's it offers so much insight and understanding to our own experience, which helps us out. It's it directly helps us. So, moving on to question number seven, she says, "Hi, Katie. Hope you're doing well." Question mark. <laughs> it's like, "Hey, Katie. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing okay. Uh, it's just been, you know." It's just a weird time these days. It says, I wanted to know, do you sometimes analyze the people you meet in your free time without really wanting to, or can you just be you without your therapistic thoughts? I like the word therapistic. That's funny. Because a friend of mine told me once she tends, once that she tends to analyze people around her, even if she doesn't want to, which doesn't make me feel better, to be honest. I'm going to be truthful here. I don't do it. I don't... I know other people do. Okay. I know other people do. I personally find it exhausting. The level of focus and also it's just such an energy out thing for me. Like I'm focusing so much of my energy on someone's behaviors and the things that they say and the ways they interact in relationships. There's too much. And I'd already do it all day long, like all the time. Um, So I never do. I will, however, and I think I talked about this on the podcast a little bit the other, like last week, is that I don't, I don't therapize anybody. I don't, but if there are patterns, I will call them out. And I think that's part of just being a therapist is I see patterns and this doesn't really happen. Like, um, I mean, I guess maybe it's happened with Sean and I maybe once or twice, but it's more about like relationships that I have in my, my life that aren't going well. So like friendships that are kind of ending or just relationships that are really tumultuous that have never felt good. I'm, that's when I'll, I, it's not even analyze. It's just like, I'll tap into my therapist brain. And I'll be like, there's a pattern here. What's the pattern that I'm seeing? And that gives me some insight into like what's happening. And that, that could be, you know, maybe they're ha- falling on tough times. They're feeling depressed. You know, it might go that route, but it's, it's more about like, um, me understanding the patterns and utilizing like communication tools to like circumvent those patterns. Um, but I don't really, I don't really analyze. It's it's just, I find it so exhausting. <laughs> it's a lot of work being a, like, like I said, there's just so many things in place, so many behaviors, so many. And then it, the questions I would ask would be very weird. I just, yeah, I don't do it. I And I, I need a break, right? My brain needs a break. But like I said, I, I have heard from others that they do. So, and I, I would feel uncomfortable with that as well. Like I would feel uncomfortable with my friends who are therapists and psychiatrists were constantly analyzing me. It just, you're like, ooh, it gives you the willies. You're like, oh, should I act differently? I'm not sure what to do now. I feel super awkward. I feel like it's not good for anybody. Okay, question number eight. Hey, Katie, I am 14 and I feel so lonely. My parents don't believe in therapy. They are so nice other than that. And I think I'm suffering from depression, anxiety, and bulimia. However, I've always felt lonely. Even when I was six, I remember crying to my mom that I felt so lonely. Are some people just more likely to be lonely their whole lives? I feel like it's just me stuck in my brain versus the world, and I can't find an escape or have fun. I have had quote-unquote best friends before, but I've never felt happy with them, despite how nice they were. 
Is it just me? Am I a lonely person? And another person left a question below this question that said to add on, is loneliness a big enough reason to seek therapy? And I'm going to answer that question first because yes, a resounding yes. Loneliness is a big enough reason to seek therapy because we have to figure out where it's coming from. Like when I read this question, first of all, I love this question because I think a lot of us feel lonely and especially right now. Um, But we have to figure out why, like what is the loneliness? Is the loneliness caused from the fact that we really don't have anyone who truly knows us? And then to that end, now you're going to, this is like going down the therapist rabbit hole. Are you ready? So then if some, if we feel like no one truly knows us, is that because we're not letting people in? What would it mean if we let people in? Or have we had past relationships that were hurtful? I'd like to think about that. Were there certain red flags we didn't notice? Did they, did we trust them too much? And then when they left, we felt super abandoned. Do we worry about being abandoned? You can see, you guys, I go down this whole wrap. This is like, I feel like being a therapist is really just figuring out questions to ask. But I have a lot of questions about this because the fact that you've always felt really lonely makes me wonder if your parents were emotionally absent in some way. I have videos about that if you want to learn more about to see if it fits in. Um, You can just look up on YouTube, Katie Morton, Emotionally Absent Parents. Um, Or I think it's Emotionally Absent Mother is one of them, but I have a father one too. Um, But I'm curious about that because I do not believe that some people are just more likely to be lonely their whole life. I just think that all of us have different emotional needs that maybe aren't getting met. And so that could be um, needing friends that truly know you, but that might be because you're not letting people know you. Um, and are we worried? Are we like too afraid to be vulnerable? Are we too afraid someone's going to let us down? I have a lot of questions about this. Um, but I do believe that some of us could be like, like, is it just me? No, it's not you. Am I just a lonely person? No, but some of us are extroverts. Some of us need more external validation and support. And that doesn't make us a bad person. Nothing's wrong with us. Some of us are more introverted. We don't need a lot of people around. We don't like a lot of noise. It can be overwhelming. So maybe you're feeling lonely because you you need that outside stimulation. You need noise, people, excitement, conversations, support, guidance. You like to check in a lot to get validation before making a big decision. There could be a lot of things like that. And so we'd have to figure out what's causing it for you because in that answer, then we have the answer of like what we need to work on. So I can't really tell you past this point what would be best because it all depends on you and like what resonated, what, what, where does your loneliness come from? Um, do you feel any less lonely uh, with your parents around? Are they able to like assuage that loneliness or does it feel even more palpable? You know, can you be in a big group of people and still feel lonely? I hear that from a lot of people. And a lot of that's just the emotional disconnect. We aren't actually engaging in emotionally connected relationships. Um, Anyway, I guess I would think about some of that stuff. And um, since you're 14, technically, you could uh, start therapy on your own online if you want. You don't need your parents' permission. Um, or at least in the States. I don't know where you're at. I don't want to assume. And it does say, I think it says, um, mum, does it say? Anyway, um, actually, I don't know. I think that might've been another one. So anyway, I would really just, um, I would potentially look into that because I think it could really help. 
you have a lot of questions you need to answer about the loneliness. Often, I think we we look at this like tip of the iceberg, right? This loneliness is the the thing that we're experiencing, the thing that's holding us back and making us feel like shit and bad and blah blah blah. And so we look at that, but that's not the real problem. The real problem could be, um, you know emotional connection and relationships and not wanting to be vulnerable or having traumas in the past where we don't feel safe to let people in and needing to process through that. It could be lack of self-confidence that's led to us feeling super anxious. So we have social anxiety that leads to more loneliness and the cycle goes round and round. Um, There's a lot of stuff. And so I think that, uh, yeah, if you want to look at online therapy, I believe you're of the age where you can do it without parental consent. I would encourage you to to talk to your parents about it a little bit more and give them a chance to come to it because it really is best if parents are supportive and part of the, the conversation and part of the process. Um, but loneliness is, is I think it's just a symptom of something else. So I have uh, answer some of those questions, journal about it. Um, hopefully it helps you better understand the what you're experiencing and why. Okay. And yes, just to reiterate, loneliness is a big enough reason to seek therapy. I think the problem... Um, with therapies, people believe that like something has to be quote unquote wrong before we get help. And the truth about it is that we can all benefit from therapy. I'm going to say that again. We can all benefit from therapy. We don't have to feel our worst. A lot of times it's just helpful to get an, an outside perspective on situations. We all have stuff we could talk to someone about. Um, so don't wait. The longer we wait, actually, the harder it is because then we're like caught in patterns and habits of behavior. We might be in relationships that aren't healthy, that are hard for us to get out of because of our living situation. Things can snowball as we make poor decisions and um, don't do things that are positive for us. And so the sooner we reach out and talk to somebody, the better. Okay. Question number nine says, hi, Katie. I'm wondering if it's true that I make myself more depressed. This thought comes to mind frequently lately. I'm thinking if I make myself depressed because I want to, can you tell me if it's possible to do it? Um, We can wallow. I think that we can self-sabotage and wallow. Yes. Um, And so sometimes, like I wrote about this, I think is in my first book about uh, like when we fall down in life, we get right back up, right? Whew, we look around. Make sure nobody saw my brush off, you know, my pants and I go on my merry way. But emotionally, we'll lay down and wallow on the ground. Oh, whoa, it's so terrible. And we fill back to that other analogy of the, the train. We keep stuffing shitty thoughts that act as coal to that negative thought train. And it gets faster and faster and faster and faster. And then before we know it, we're like, I wish I was dead. And of course we do. We've just ruminated and wallowed and now we feel like shit. And so you can make yourself more depressed and just feel worse in general if we engage in unhealthy thought behavior. And that's why it's so important to keep those thoughts in check. We can all wallow. Trust me, I could let myself go off the rails. I could, oh, you're such a loser. And I could read all the negative comments that people leave, you know, the people that normally we block and mute and I never even read their comments. Ha <laughs> ha, joke's on you. Um, I could like dig into that and like emotionally wound myself on purpose, right? I could think through all the relationships I fucked up or things I said I shouldn't have. I could really go to town, but I don't because it's not going to help me. It doesn't benefit me in any way. 
it is okay to feel bad. It's okay to have a, t- a bad day or a bad week. It's okay to feel sad and to feel depressed. But wallowing is different. Wallowing is when we consciously make the choice to think about depressing and shitty things and we beat ourselves up with it. And that's that like thought train. It gets faster and faster and just we keep fueling it with garbage. And so if we want to feel better, we cannot fuel that. We have to do some thought stopping techniques. We have to change the subject. We have to distract. We have to talk to somebody who's supportive. There's a lot of things that we can do. Um, However, just because I want to say this for some clarity, you cannot cause your depression. Depression is caused, um, it's environmental as well as genetic. So it's not, you know, it's like nature versus nurture. It's both, spoilers. Um, So just because you're thinking bad, sad thoughts isn't causing depression. Often the depression comes and then we have thoughts and behaviors that support it and it kind of goes hand in hand. So I don't want you to think that like I created my depression. I just thought some bad thoughts and I am depressed. That's not how it works. Um, So don't think that you made yourself depressed, but we can make it worse just like anything. It's like if if we think of our depression as like a a stitches that I got uh, because I had to have a mole removed, making things up. So. I have those stitches and it hurts. And maybe I have to take some pain pills or I have to put something on. I have to clean the bandage and it really hurts and I don't like it and it's uncomfortable and I can't use this arm. And so it kind of bums me out, right? That's our depression. It's in the way, it's impairing my functionality. I don't like it and it hurts. But when the environment, so that's like the genetic, okay, I have it. Then the environment comes into play. And that's like if instead of like cleaning it and letting it sit and giving it time to heal and taking the medicine or whatever, like the anti, you know, bacterials or whatever, not antibacterials. <laughs> Sorry, you guys. Anything to, to stop it from getting infected. Um, if I just keep picking at it, I don't put the bandage on it. I scratch at it purposely. I'm looking. This is me ruminating on bad thoughts. I'm thinking all those shitty things about myself. I'm replaying some bad scenarios. I'm letting it take me. That train is flying top speed. And so I just want you to consider that, like, that's the difference. And so don't think that you created it yourself, okay? That's all. Um, But it is possible to make it worse or make it better. That's the cool thing. Thank God for neuroplasticity and choices um, and learning. We can can do that. Our brain can change. It can grow. We can uh, learn new tools and we can use them. Um, yeah, I hope that makes sense. I hope that was, that was helpful at least. (laughs) Hope you like my analogies. Okay. Almost done. Question number 10. Hey, Katie, ever since year three, it's been, um, it's like, I've been afraid of people. I know whenever I see someone I know outside of school hours, I look the other way and I freeze up. I then get extremely uncomfortable. Now that I've moved down to a less populated area, it's like I see someone every single time I'm out of the house. I'm very reluctant to leave my room in fear that I'll embarrass myself somehow. Is this normal? And are there is, um, is there any you suggest that I could do to fix this? Oh, anything you should suggest, you could suggest that we could fix this. Okay. So the fear of embarrassing yourself in public is what we call agoraphobia. And it's part of, it's an anxiety disorder. And it, it happens over time. I, I like you're saying ever since year three, and I'm not sure where you're at now, but usually it's over the course of like a year or more because of our extreme 
in my experience, it's usually social anxiety, but it can be generalized anxiety. We just feel anxious um, in life. We worry about things. We don't want to embarrass ourselves. Um, And that's why the social anxiety, I think, is usually how it's born. But that happens and we start to slowly shut ourselves in. And agoraphobia is when we fear like leaving the house. It's not necessarily even the house, just like our living space, our safe space. Some of us have like one or two spaces, um, but we don't want to leave that space for fear that we could have a panic attack in public. We could embarrass ourselves or do something that's shameful in front of other people. And the fear is so great that we we become shut-ins because it's easier, right? I don't have to leave my room or my house. I don't have to see anybody. Um, and so the best thing that I can tell you to fix this is to see a therapist. And I know that's really hard, but the cool thing is with COVID, one other silver lining is that most therapists are doing things online. So you don't have to leave your house. It's beautiful. It's perfect. So much easier. Um, It's still hard work, but seeing a therapist who understands anxiety disorders and can assist you with this is really key. And in my, uh, my very limited experience, I have not had a patient in the past. I don't even know. I don't think I've had a patient in my private practice who's had agoraphobia, but I have had patients who have really debilitating social anxiety um, to the point where like they just go to, I mean, I guess maybe you call that agoraphobic, but they'll still go to the gym and the grocery store and stuff, but they like go the house to work to the basic needs and home, no social interaction um, or as little as, as they can manage. And so the best way in my experience to fix this is through, first of all, building up our resources. And I've talked about resources over the years. It's really just um, a, a tool to calm you down. It could be like a coping skill. We could call it that as well, but it's more of a place you can go in your head like a favorite vacation, um, a memory, a feeling. It could be a person. It could be a, having an animal around. We need these resources to help us calm our system down. And the reason that we need to build those up is so that we have them when we need them. And we need to use these resources all the time to try to manage the anxiety that we feel about life, okay? And then get into a little exposure therapy. And I know you just hit under the couch because you're like, fuck this. I don't want to do that. But I promise you that managing the anxiety, getting that level down, medication can be really, really helpful as well. But then we have to prove it wrong. We have to prove it wrong that we're not going to embarrass ourselves when we're out. We have to engage in social interactions and get that evidence that it's not going to get worse. Because the thing about anxiety is that the longer we, or the more frequently we give in to its demands to keep us uh, at the house or keep us uh, from engaging socially or uh, keep us worried that we can't go to the grocery store because we're going to have a panic attack. The more we engage in it and agree with it and are like, yes, that worry is real and I can't do that thing anymore. It will just keep limiting us. But if we if we don't agree with the anxiety, if we don't let it win, if we fight back and do the thing anyways, no matter how uncomfortable, then we've proven it wrong and it gets better. And so, yes, it's very normal. It's very common. You can look up agoraphobia. I have a video about it. Um, but working with a therapist, getting online, there's BetterHelp, Talkspace. Those are all great resources, probably other online therapy resources. Um, I know a lot of, uh, people like regular therapists, like such as myself are offering it online now because of COVID. Um, so you can maybe find a specialist, which would be super cool. And it could be through your insurance. Like my mom sees her therapist through like the Teladoc is usually what it's called. That's what most of us use for these, uh, like 
I call them Skype sessions or online sessions, but you really can't use those because they're not HIPAA compliant. So people use like Teladoc. Um, But anyways, you could find someone, figure it out, talk about it, uh, figure out what the triggers are, where it comes from, build up those resources um, and prove it wrong. But yeah, it does get better. Okay. Final question. Question number 11. Hey, Katie, how do I stop comparing myself to others? Oh my God, everybody wants to know this. Sometimes it's random people. Other times it's specific people or a specific person, but either way, it's frustrating and it doesn't help me. Just makes me feel unhappy about myself and worry that I won't live up to whatever another person is like or does. Even if it may not, um, even if it may not even be something I think I would personally want, if that makes sense. Yes, like you're judging, you're like jealous or comparing, but it's not even anything you actually really want in your life. Um, sometimes it crosses my mind to try and tell myself that each person on their journey is unique, but I feel like that doesn't, still doesn't convince me. It's tricky. So comparing ourselves just, it, it, it fucks everything up really, right? We all agree with that, right? You're, you're nodding, I'd assume. Um, because we never know the whole story. Like I've talked about this in the past, like you can look at someone's life from the outside in and be like, man, they have this uh, this great husband and marriage or this great dog or they have this house that I want or or man, their job looks cool or it looks like they have so many friends. We can be so jealous, right? All this stuff, we can create this whole list. Meanwhile, we don't really know how things are going. Social media allows us to have this illusion of perfection. It's kind of why I don't like it that much um, is because it's like, it, we're, I'm comparing my everyday regular real life to someone's like goddamn highlight reel. And that's just not, that's just not, I don't want to do that. So I think uh, there's a couple of things we can do. The one that worked the best for me, I'll be honest, is to limit my time online and unfollow people all the time. So I know that you're saying this, this might not be online and that's not like what the real question is, but I just want to throw that out there that if we find ourselves like comparing, our, you know, if you're comparing yourself to someone else, mute that person for a while. See if that improves your mood. See if that helps you feel better. Unfollow people. Don't get online as much. All of those are great techniques and tools to help you kind of minimize this comparison, especially because we're in the COVID stuff and it's like we're home. So I'd assume most of it is online right now. Um, however, I do want to talk about in person too. And something that I've talked about in the past is like it was, I used it as a way to prevent myself from getting into negative thought spirals and judging people and judging myself. And I think it fits here as well. Is like, if we find ourselves comparing to someone else and we start that thought process, right? I'm like, oh my God, she is so, she looks, her, I don't even know, like uh, her outfit's so much more put together and here I'm in my pajamas. I'm such a lazy slob, blah, 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 blah. Why does it look like she has things all good and all together? We have to thought stop. We cannot let those thoughts go unnoticed. We have to recognize them and call them out and be like, this is bullshit. These are lies. We have to stop, 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 call them out. And then instead, I want you to say, I really like her outfit. She looks really great. And then I want you to compliment yourself. I want you to say, you know, I'm in my pajamas. and I'm so glad I'm comfortable. It's it's so nice that I can do this, that I have the ability to do this. And I know that it's a bad example, but I'm just giving you that so that you can kind of understand how you have to call out those thoughts. You have to stop them. And then we can turn it into something positive. Or if it's too hard for us to come up with a compliment for ourselves and the other person that we're looking at, we just thought stop and we move on to another thing. We distract, do something else. Um, yeah, I guess those are that's mainly um, mainly my advice on it. 
And then we're going to like, is it bad? Those thoughts are so important. Please recognize the thoughts that you're having. Um, because my guess would be that you're having a pretty shitty conversation with yourself and that's why you're comparing yourself to others. So I'd, I would get, I would hypothesize that that's the root of this. And so pay attention to what you're saying to yourself every day, all day. Um, and going back to like what I mentioned in the previous question is like using those bridge statements to make it more positive. We have to recognize what we're saying to ourselves because God, it's just like thought pollution, man. It, it just fucks with our head. It makes us think things that aren't true. And then those things become beliefs and then we act out of those and then it fucks up the rest of our life. It's just, we can, we need to stop them. We need to recognize what those thoughts are. What are the beliefs that we're having? What are we saying to ourselves? It's a conversation we have 24 seven. So pay attention. Make sure it's a good, healthy, happy conversation. And yes, I know it's hard. I'm not perfect either, but I'm just saying the awareness, just bringing the awareness to it and trying to talk a little bit more positively will change your life. Um, but yeah, hopefully that's helpful. The comparison thing for me is social media has really been the biggest trigger. So I just don't follow as many people as I used to, or I follow people that I truly feel like I can be happy for, if that makes sense. It's not, you know, it's no put down to anybody else. It's just, it's my own issue. I'm working on it. Right. I always tell people like, no offense. If I don't follow you, it's, it's more about me. It's me trying to do what's good for me. Um, yeah, little by little, it'll get better. And I do like that you say, you know, each person's on their journey and it's unique. Um, but I think it needs, like you said, it doesn't convince you. So what we have to say has to be a little bit more direct. Uh, and that's why like forcing, like stopping the thoughts, calling them out as bullshit, as not helpful, as not necessary. Why are you in my head? Get out of here, losers. And then turn it into something like, hey, you know, she looks really put together and, and that's really cool. She looks really nice. Giving her a compliment and give yourself a compliment too, you know, um, that can really change things around. Okay. I think that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and following along, watching. If you're here on YouTube, hey, hey, hey. Um, again, I promise next week I will ask the questions in the community tab of the Opinions That Don't Matter YouTube channel. Um, it's Sean and I's podcast and this podcast over there. If you're watching it, you already know where you're at, but I put it in the community tab. I've heard from some of you that you don't get the notifications for when I post. I don't know. I don't know how the notifications work on YouTube all the time, but if you have all your notifications turned on, it should notify you. Um, however, I, I usually like 90% of the time ask them on Mondays. Sometimes I'll ask them on Tuesdays, but most of the time I ask for those questions on Mondays. So if on the evening on Monday, you put a reminder in your phone to check the community tab, it should be in there and you should be able to find it. Thank you so much for listening and watching and sending in your questions. I hope you have a lovely week. I will see you soon. Bye. You can ask her why breakups suck or why you've hit a plateau. Inquire all those questions you've always wanted to know.